You know, uh, Frank and Nikki do so much for this fellowship. You know, we know that Frank preaches on Sunday morning, and he's my favorite preacher. I'm serious. I'm not joking. He is my favorite preacher. But they do so much more. I mean, Frank is always available for any guys that need to talk, for anyone who needs to have some encouragement. And Nikki's here for everything. I mean, she, uh, um, you know, VBS. I mean, Nikki and, and Stephanie Hicks are VBS. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, all the others that help as well. I'm not, uh, you know, forgetting them, but they really put VBS together. In fact, it's interesting. This is a little bit off topic, but it's interesting. Um, Vi and I were at, at our gym uh, Friday, can't you tell? And, uh, but anyway, we're at our gym, and the one girl at the desk, she says, I think I know you. And she, she was probably about, I don't know, 24, 25. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I passed her at uh, Brian Calvary Chapel. She said, when I was a little girl, I went to VBS there. It's when we first came here. We had, and so um, I had a chance to invite her to church and like that. Mm-hmm. And, but Nikki does VBS, does it fantastic. We have the homeschool co-op. You know, that meets here once a month. It's, it's amazing. You know, the cookie exchange. I mean, they're, the whole family is so involved and they're so. I mean, look at this beautiful family. From first year of college, and by the way, it looks like she's going to finish her first semester with a 4 0. Yeah. <clears throat> and then a junior, and then a freshman, and then, um, what are you, sixth, seventh, seventh grade, and. Third grade and first grade, right? And, uh, but anyway, we wanted to show our appreciation to them. When uh, Vi and I were a young Parsonage family, uh, for many, many years, the church would get together and give us a Christmas gift. And, you know, the Lord put it on all of our hearts to do that to this Parsonage family this year. And so um, we have collected a Christmas gift for you guys. And you'll notice I'm going to hand it to Nikki because uh, if I hand it to Frank, he will lose it before he gets home. So there you go. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Thomas family. We thank you for their ministry to this fellowship. We pray that you'd continue to bless and encourage them in all your ways. And Father, I ask that What we see now as far as their ministry to this church is just beginning until the day you come for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I did take my finder's fee out of it, but I'm just joking. If you want to open your Bibles along with me, we are in Genesis Chapter 18, we're starting chapter 18 today. I was just testing. I wanted to make sure you were alert and alive. Yes, Exodus, I'm sorry. I'm going to be sharing some verses from Genesis. That's what, Anyway, in Exodus chapter 18. You know, one of the things we have to understand is Jesus is coming soon. Do you realize that? I mean, if you look at all the prophecies that have been foretold... They're beginning to happen before our eyes. And one of the things I I was thinking of as I was preparing my study for this week in Exodus, as we all know, um, you go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were promised the land of Canaan, right? We know that from Genesis. 
But it tells us that they were not able to enter in because the sin of the Amorites, you know, the Canaanites, was not yet full. And the sin that they had that was so pervasive was just complete immorality as far as sexuality was concerned and as far as children were concerned. They killed babies as part of their ritual. And the thing we have to understand is that I believe the sin of the Amorites, the sin of the Canaanites is becoming full in this world. Not just in our nation, but in this world. And we're seeing things like we've never seen before. And um, if you really think about it, I mean, the things that are going on, you know, as far as abortion is concerned, is, is that any different than the Canaanites' child sacrifice? And as far as so many other things of that nature that are going on, our world is sinking down, down, and down. But there is a hope for God's people that we're going to be called out of this world. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are left and are still alive shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. And the one thing I think you really need to be aware of is this as well. A lot of people say, well, we're going to be raptured. What about all the people on earth? There's going to be one last great revival, and it's after we're gone. Did you know that? I mean, so many people come to Jesus after the rapture that the Antichrist has to set up a whole method of extinguishing them, of putting them to death. And so we, as believers, have a responsibility to share our faith before the Lord takes us out of this world. I was listening to uh, Dr. Regan. I don't know if you... I can't remember his first name. If you go online, you can find him. He's an old guy, older than me. And um, he was actually um, a college professor and uh, administrator, college administrator. And he started reading the prophecies that he was coming across in the Old Testament. And it brought him to faith. And he has written so many wonderful books concerning the last days and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he was saying, Vi and I watched it. By, by the way, Vi is sick, if you're wondering why she, she's not here. We're, we're doing fine. <laughs> but she's, she's really sick. She has fever and so forth. But anyway, Dr. Regan was sharing the fact that people used to say we're living in the last season or the last days. He said, we're living in the last moments. He said, the return of Christ is so, is so on the horizon that we can almost see it. And so the motivation that that should be for us isn't to be like the reason Paul wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians is in his first letter. In fact, if you read Thessalonians, every single chapter, every single chapter speaks of the rapture of the church, every one. And so what happened is the Thessalonians were thinking in their day, oh, Jesus is coming back any minute. So they went and they started camping up on a hillside waiting for him, doing nothing. And so he wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians saying, get out there and do the work of ministry. And so you and I, even though we know the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon, we can't just go up on a hill and sit and wait. We need to be doing the work of the ministry. The greatest evangelists in the world, brothers and sisters, are you and me. Not TV, not books, but it's that personal communication and relationship we have with others. And we need to make the most of every opportunity. And Dr. Regan was sharing that, and this blew my mind, in the world, right now, today, 
100,000 people a day come to Christ. But because our population has grown so vastly, that's not, you know, it's kind of like a drop in the bucket. But nevertheless, 100,000 people a day come to Christ. And so we have to realize we might be someone that the Lord is going to use to come to himself, to be born again of the Spirit. And so as we study these portions of Scripture, we should always be asking asking ourselves, what is God showing me? What does he want me to see in this portion of Scripture that I might be a better servant of his? And I believe that this whole account that we're going to be reading about in the beginning of chapter 18 of Exodus is all about reconciliation. And because we're going to find out that apparently there was a rift between Moses and his wife Zipporah and his two sons. And he sent them away. He's going to tell us that in, in a moment in a verse of Scripture that we're reading. So he sent them away. There was a rift. Now, Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, who was uh, the father of Zipporah and the grandfather of, her, of their two sons, was coming to bring reconciliation, to bring them back together. And we have to realize that the reason I think this account is taking place at this time because they are at Rephidim, and Rephidim was very close to Midia. And so I think that's the reason, at this point in their journey through the wilderness, that's why they came. Now, um, it's not a coincidence that we find a ministry of reconciliation in this portion of Scripture, because you find it all through Scripture, don't we? I mean, God's whole purpose since the fall was reconciliation, reconciling man back to himself. The first account we have is with Adam and Eve. I mean, God gave them choice, right? You can eat from any tree in the garden, any one. But the tree that is in the center of the garden, the tree of knowledge, of knowing good from evil, of that tree you shall not eat, because in the day you eat of it you shall die. Not talking physically, he was talking spiritually. We separated from God. And, of course, they were tempted. They were tempted by the flesh, in every way. You know, the eye, oh, look, it's beautiful. By the senses, oh, it tastes good. And by the spiritual, it'll make you like God, knowing good from evil. And they were tempted in all those ways, and they partook of the tree. And the moment they partook of it, they recognized that they had sinned against God. And the first thing Adam and Eve tried to do was cover their own sin. We're going to read this in just a moment. They tried to cover their own sin. And I think that's what happens oftentimes with people in general in the world. I think a lot of times people come to a realization, you know what? I've got a lot of problems in my life. I'm a sinner. I've done this. I've done that. I feel bad about myself. What can I do to cover it? I know. I'll heat myself all up with religion. Or I'll try to do more, more good than I do bad. Or I'll try to read this book. Or I'll try to go through this kind of penance or whatever it might be. They're trying to cover their own sin. And here's the problem. Our sin reaches to the heavens. There's no covering it. But then God came to Adam and Eve, and he covered their sin. In fact, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Just go back a book. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Genesis 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both, this is Adam and Eve, both of them were open after they ate of the, the, 
the forbidden fruit, the tree. And they knew that they were naked. Now, the word there for naked in the Hebrew means to be uncovered. So it doesn't you know, necessarily mean without clothing. It means your heart is uncovered. Everything's uncovered. So when they sinned, they knew they sinned. They knew they betrayed God. That's why they hid from him. And they knew they were naked. And look at what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Made themselves coverings. They tried to cover their own sin. And one of the things that was interesting to me in our, one of our first, our first trip to Israel, actually, is that we went to a place where there were a fig grove and there were fig trees. Have you ever touched a fig leaf? It's itchy and prickly. <laughs> so here they are. They're trying to cover their own sin with something that didn't work and didn't feel good. And so we have to make sure we don't try to cover our own sin because it didn't work. And um, then we go to uh, verse 21. You're still in chapter 3. Go to verse 21. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, that's Eve. Um, in fact, man is Ish and woman is Isha, which sounds like man. In other words, man and woman were, were human beings. They were one. They were one kind of people. For also Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of what? Of skin, and he clothed them. In Hebrews 9.22, it says this, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Now listen to this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We try to cover our sins all, all we want. We can make all of our fig leaves, you know, to try to cover ourselves. But only Jesus Christ, by the shedding of his own blood, the Lamb of God, are our sins purified and removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And understand, our sins aren't covered, they're removed. In the Old Testament, the Kofar, their sins were covered by the sacrifices they made. In other words, kind of like, you know, you have a, a, a you know, bunch of dishes and someone comes over and you throw a you know, blanket over or something like that. You don't want anyone to see it. You're trying to cover it. But in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if, conditional conjunction, if we confess, that means you have to admit you've done something wrong. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So by the blood of the Lamb, our sin isn't covered. It's purified. And the wonderful thing is, he keeps purifying us. Because every day... We need the Lord. Every day we need him to purify us from all unrighteousness. Now move to chapter 4, and we see the mistake of trying to do it your own way. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 4, and go to verse 2. Genesis, 4, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. 
And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he, he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now look what happened when Cain's offering wasn't accepted. Cain wanted to, I'm going to do it my way, God. They knew that the proper sacrifice was the shedding of blood. They knew the proper sacrifice was, you know, a lamb, was a, a, you know, an animal sacrifice. And Cain was angry and his countenance fell. You don't accept my sacrifice, God? That really makes me angry. And I, and I, I hate life. I hate this world. That's what it means. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will not be will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, do well sin lies at the door and it desires and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So what the Lord is saying to Cain, he's saying, Why be all upset? Why be angry? Why have your countenance down? Look at Okay, you made a mistake. You tried to offer your own sacrifice rather than the acceptable sacrifice that I've commanded. All you have to do is what's right. Just offer the right sacrifice and everything's going to be fine. But Cain, rather than doing what was right as God commanded him to do, he killed his brother who did what was right. Cain killed Abel. You remember... His blood cried up from the ground, and the Lord confronted Cain, Cain and says, Where is your brother? He said, Am I, am I my, my brother's keeper? Well, we are our brother's keeper. We have a responsibility to one another to share our faith, to love one another, to care for one another. In fact, Vi and I, he's going to sound corny, okay? So Vi and I were sitting around yesterday, and we're talking, and uh, we were talking about how much we love our church family. I mean, we, we, love our, we, I lo- we love every one of you. And that's one of the things that's wonderful about not having, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a mega church, but one of the things that's nice about not having a mega church is I know everybody. I know every one of your faces. I know your names. When I pray for you, I know who you are. And I, and I think that's awesome. But that's the kind of love we're supposed to have for all the brethren, for all believers to love one another, never becoming jealous of one another, never becoming envious of one another, but loving one another. So now this brings us to this uh, account of reconciliation we find in Exodus chapter 18. You know, one of the things I just wanted to mention, um, I know probably I'm not supposed to do this, but... um, you know, uh, the, the women have been going to a Bible study on Sunday night. And Priscilla, I can't remember her last name. What is it? Schreier. And she's the daughter of Tony Evans. I don't know if any of you know who Tony Evans is. He's a great black preacher. He's awesome. But this, this woman is doing a, a study for our women on um, um, Gideon, a study of Gideon. And so this is where I, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble. I started watching it. <laughs> It is so awesome. I mean, it is so unbelievable. Uh, this woman has a way, and the expressions on her face, she has such a way of, of presenting the truth of Scripture through, you know, the person of Gideon. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, I was telling Vi after, you know, watching a couple of these, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to go through the whole series, is that, boy, we've got to do another one of these. <laughs> Because I guess she has more than one series, one 
character to go through. But that's just a little advertisement. And some of you ladies, maybe you've missed um, the first few, four, whatever it is. Um, if you're able to come, you want to come. If not, try to make sure that you're able to set the time aside when they have the next study. This, this woman is dynamic in, in the way she presents uh, the Word of God. So Exodus chapter 18, verse 1, Then, and Jethro, the priest of Midian. You have to understand, at this point, Jethro was a pagan priest. You know, he wasn't of the line of Aaron. He wasn't, you know, a priest of, of the Lord Most High. He was a pagan priest at this point. So anyway, and Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. So we know Moses had sent her back. tells us right here. With her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, this is why Moses named him this, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, and the name of the other was Eleazar. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. When they named children in those days, their name had a purpose. Their name had a meaning to it. And you know what? God has named us as his children. As his children. And that name has a meaning to it. We belong to God. We're his. Verse 5. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness. And like I said, where they were now encamped was pretty close to Midia. And so that's why it would have been easier for him to come, Jethro, to come with his two daughters. Where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being. Apparently they really liked each other. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law, <coughs> excuse me, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship they had come upon, that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord. Now pay attention to that. I'm going to make a point in a moment who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and, has, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, capital L again, uh, is greater than all gods, little g, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. What's he talking about? We have to remember that all ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt were a condemnation of their gods. So the very pride they had in their gods, the Lord brought their gods low by the plagues. That's what that portion is talking about there. Verse 12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron, Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, one of the first things we notice at this point is that what God did for Israel in Egypt didn't go unnoticed. It was known far and wide. Jethro knew all about it. 
And so we have to understand when God works in our life, other people see it. It's not just something happening to us. Other people see what the Lord is doing. So we're his witnesses not only by what we say, but we're also his witnesses by what God is doing in our life. Now, we have to realize that we're his witnesses not only by the positive things God does in in our life. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, the Lord's really blessing them. Praise God. You know, God is really blessing them. But it's not only that, but it's also by some of the negative things God does in our life and how we handle it. Sometimes that's a greater testimony to others. You know, things happen to other people and they just completely lose it. And things happen to us and we still stand strong in the word of God. Now, we don't know, you know, when difficulties are going to come our way, but they do come, even grief. You know, you know I don't want to get into it too far because I'll start crying and stuff, but Vi and I, you know, suffered a great grief, and I know others in the church have been through the same kind of grief of losing someone at a young age. And I never had a time that I hated God. I never, never had a time I was mad at God. I was hurt, and I wondered why. But I always trusted the Lord, because the one thing I know is if our faith, brothers and sisters, is not in eternity, if our faith is not with the Lord, then we're of all people most pitiable, Scripture says. If only in this life we had hope in Christ, that's, isn't that what it says? We're of all people the most pitiable. Because my hope in Christ isn't just now. My hope in Christ is for eternity. I know the grandson that went ahead of me is with Jesus Christ. That's not a, oh, I hope so. That's kind of a nice thought. It's kind of a feel-good thing. I know it. And I know I'll see him again. Because God is good. God is always good. And the reality is, this life is just a shadow of the reality that we're going to have with him for all eternity. Whether it be we meet up with him in the rapture or death, to be absent from the bodies, to be present for the, with the Lord. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Those are the prom- promises we have in his word, in his word. Now, we don't know why Moses sent his wife Zipporah away and also his sons, but through Scripture we can venture a good guess. Because um, what we have to understand, partly it was in relationship to Zipporah's reaction to God confronting Moses. Do you remember that whole account? In fact, go back to Exodus 4 again. Exodus 4, and go to verse 24. And let me explain something in in a moment first before I I get into this portion here. We have to understand God made a covenant with his people Israel. Started with Abraham. And that was the covenant of circumcision. And every male child was to be circumcised as the testimony of their faith in Almighty God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And, of course, we know what it tells us in the epistles is in relationship to the cutting away of the flesh. But now, in the new covenant, 
we're circumcised of what? Of heart. We're circumcised of heart. We're separated with God, you know, to God by his Holy Spirit. We're circumcised of heart, the cutting away of the flesh. But what happened is here you have Moses, and of course you realize they've been in, uh, you know, they'd been in Egypt 430 years. And but here you have Moses. He's coming out, called of God. He knows all the commands of God. And he had two sons whom he never circumcised. And circumcision was a sign of their separation from the world unto God. And so let's pick up in Exodus 4, verse 24. And it came to pass on the way, and they were heading to Egypt, because Moses had this call of God, this ministry, to bring his people out of Egypt. So they're on their way to Egypt, and um, it came to pass on the way, at the encampment, that just means where they set up camp for the night, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. Wow! He met Moses and sought to kill him. Because circumcision wasn't an option. Moses, you're going to go and free my people from bondage, and you're unwilling to do the you know, one simple thing that I've asked of you, to circumcise your sons as a sign of separation unto me? How are you going to separate people from Egypt if you can't separate your sons from the world? So it was something that was required. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is our seal of separation from sin in the world? In Romans, it's one of the accounts that tells us, chapter 6 and um, verse 18 says, Having been set free from sin, we became slaves to righteousness. So one of the signs and seals of our being set free from this world and sin is to become a slave of righteousness. I don't know of anyone who ever complained or felt bad that they were doing well, that they were doing good. I've heard people complain and feel bad that they're doing poorly, that they're sinning. But I've never had someone come say, Pastor, I just really need to talk to you. I've been so righteous this week. <laughs> you know, I've been doing so much good. I've been leading people to Christ. And helping. I just feel awful. Never had that. Never one time. But I've had many people come and talk to me about feeling bad because of their sin. So our separation is righteousness. Now, if you continue in Exodus 4, you're still back in 4, and pick up with verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut, it off the for, and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses. And cast it at Moses' feet. And listen to what she said. And said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. Now, if she just said a husband of blood, that would be bad enough. But she said to me, she made it personal. You're a husband of blood to me. And I don't think Moses was the type of guy that said, well, oh, calm down, honey. I didn't mean to upset you. I'm sorry. We'll try to figure this out some way. You know, a happy wife is a happy life. We'll make, you know, we'll work. I don't think Moses was like that. I think Moses, you know, just confronted her and went right to the, to the heart of the issue. Now, um, I think he was more likely to have said, because I don't think Moses being called of God was, was going to be a man of anger and, 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 you know, be vindictive or anything like that. I believe he would have said something like this. You know what, Zipporah, this is a very difficult task the Lord has called me to do. And if you can't stand up to circumcision, which is a law of God, 
If you can't handle this, then you're not going to be able to handle what's going to go on in Egypt. I'm sending you and the boys back to your dad. So I can go in and have this ministry without any distractions. I think that's more likely the case. I mean, that's my, you know, assessment of it. But that's what I think. Now, it's very likely um, God had two agendas in confronting uh, Abraham or Moses like this. And one was the fact that he needed to have his sons circumcised in order to be following the law of God. But I think the other was to give Moses the freedom to go into Egypt and not have any distractions. You know, how's my wife feeling? Is this affecting my sons? You know, he's, he's in there and he's by himself. And, you know, that's why... Now I'll try and get off on a tangent, but for some of us that have been in the military, we know that when the government sends you into a combat zone, you don't take your family with you. If you're going to a family-friendly nation, you know, like you're going to Germany, you're going to some place like that, to one of the, the military bases, you can take your family with you. When you go into combat, you can't take your family. Why? There'll be a distraction. You're going to be worried about them. And so I think that's part of the reason God had Moses, you know, send his family away, I believe anyway. Now, I also think it is possible that at this point, Zipporah and her sons were now ready to handle everything that was going to be going on in the wilderness. I think finally their hearts were prepared. I think that's the reason that Jethro felt the freedom to come back and try to bring reconciliation between Moses, his wife, and his two sons. Now, the thing that's interesting, that the only other mention of Moses' sons after they entered into the Promised Land, if you want to write this down, you can, is found in Judges 18.30. And in Judges 18.30, it says, there are the Danites. Now, the Danites, one of the tribes of Israel, they initially had their inheritance given to them by God in the southern kingdom. But they thought the land in the northern kingdom looked better. So in disobedience to the land God had given them, the Danites moved to the northern kingdom. In fact, when we... Uh, I don't know if, if, Ken, you remember, the one time we went to Israel, we went to where the tribe of Dan was, and they actually had a place there for the offering of sacrifices and worship of Baal. The Danites moved up there. But anyway... Uh, there the Danites set up for themselves uh, the idols, and Jonathan, son of Gershon, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. So here you have Moses' great-grandsons, and look at what they're becoming. They're becoming priests, priests of a pagan god, turning from the Lord. And this was Moses' great-grandson. And you know, one of the things that it made me think about is you and I, I mean, people my age, maybe not all of you would fit into every category, but I have children, right? And I have grandchildren. And there might be some of you who even have great-grandchildren. But God only has children. Your children are not saved because you're saved. Your grandchildren aren't saved because you're saved. 
Your children have to make their own profession of faith. And that's one of the things that Vi and I did right. We did a lot of things wrong, I'm sure. But one of the things we did right is from the beginning, we always told our children, just because your dad's a pastor and your mom's a pastor's wife, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're saved. You've got to make your own profession of faith. And you know what? I praise God for that. I mean, we gave them... And, and, you know, our daughter and our son both had their little bit of times of, of rebellion and this and that. But you know what? They came back solidly to the Lord. And my son, Pastor Frank Jr., he's up here preaching to us every week, blessing us. I thank God that we gave them the freedom to make their own decision because God doesn't have grandchildren, only children. Now... After Moses gives his father-in-law, Jethro, all the details of how God worked in his behalf, and remember I told you to notice this. Go back to verse 10. Blessed be the Lord. The word that is used there in the Hebrew for Lord is Yahweh. That's important. Who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord... Yahweh, is the word used there, is greater than all gods. For in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. The fact that Jethro calls God Yahweh or Jehovah testifies that he had a true conversion experience. Because when you call God Yahweh, Jehovah, he... It, is the one true God. It is the I am that I am. It is the self-existent one. It is God Almighty. And Jethro recognizes that. He says, now I know that your God, Jehovah, is the only God. He understood that. And so we have to understand as well that we have a responsibility as believers to testify of the one true God. There are not many gods. There's one true God. You know, one of the things that's so sad is how religion has separated Christians. Have you ever noticed that? You know, you have the charismatics that are so afraid of being, being, becoming Baptists, and the Baptists are so afraid of becoming charismatics, and the liberals so afraid of becoming, you know, more conservative, and, and all these kinds of things. Why not just worship God? Just love Jesus, love His Word. You know, I had a meeting with someone, actually just last week, and... Uh, the same question I've been asked a bunch of times, and, and, and this person said to me, what are we here? <laughs> you know, what are we? Are we Baptists? Are we, you know, are we Charismatics? Are we Pentecost? What are we here? And I said, we're Bible-believing Christians. That's all we are. The minute you put a label on yourself or on your fellowship, you put a label on them. And the only label I want on us is we belong to Jesus Christ. We are Christ ones. That's what the word Christian means. Did you know that? Christ one. Our family and friends are also aware of what God is doing in our lives and how we react to it. And, um, you know, sometimes we hold back from sharing with other people what the Lord has shown us out of embarrassment, especially family and friends. Well, I don't want to... No, no. You know what? Every opportunity you have, you should be sharing your faith. I'm not saying that you should be wearing T-shirts that says, turn or burn, you know, or, or bench press this, or you're on your way to hell. You know, I'm not talking about doing that kind of thing. That's distracting. I'm talking about as the Lord gives you opportunity. 
you need to be willing to share your faith. Because the best testimony that we have is our love for Jesus. And one of the things that you have to be aware of, it's important to let people know you don't think you're perfect. I don't think you're perfect. I don't think I'm perfect. But we are forgiven. We are saved. We are washed in the blood. We are set apart. We are sealed with a sign and deposit of the Holy Spirit. We're going to heaven. That's what makes us different. It's no matter what is going on, it really opens so many doors for us. I mean, I'm not substituting, you know, anymore, uh, you know, because of the heart attack I had in June. But the reality is, when I was substituting, I never walked into class and said, Praise God, here I am, Mr. Thomas. I'm a pastor, and I'm here to preach Jesus to you. Because I wasn't allowed to. But what I was told is I could answer questions. And the kids saw something different in me. And the teachers. I did a wedding of administrative staff. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they knew there was something different. And they would come to me and ask me. And I was allowed to share. And I was allowed to share Jesus Christ. And so the point I'm making is you don't have to go around and being, you know, some kind of a... <laughs> look at me, you know, all this, you know, all these crazy things that we do. Like, for instance, with evangelism. I've heard people, our, our people do it good, but I've heard people on street corners that people are walking by and they'll say, you're on the road to destruction, you're going to hell, you dirty sinner. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, if I was a sinner, I'd turn, oh, wow, let me, let me hear what you have to say. I'd like to have what you have. I'd never do that. But if someone was saying, out in the street corner saying, God loves you. All of your sin can be forgiven. Jesus wants to give you a hope and a joy in your heart that you haven't had. That would attract me. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what true evangelism is. Sharing the, what's it called? Good news, isn't it? Not the bad news, you're going to hell. But to share the good news. So I really encourage you, that you've been released from bondage, bondage of sin in the world, for a reason. Do you know what your number one responsibility is as a believer? This is a question. What do you think? Nope. What? Yeah. But your number one responsibility is worship. Is worship. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The very reason that we come together is to worship the Lord. The very thing you should do from the moment you wake up in the morning is worship God. Here I am, a wretch. I've been washed clean. I'm going to heaven. I deserve hell, and I'm going to have heaven. Thank you, Jesus. How can we not worship? He inhabits the what of his people? Praises of his people. And so we worship the Lord in our heart and in our life and I'm telling you what, the Lord will bring opportunity after opportunity for you to share your faith. And so, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they entered in to the promise of God. And I'm here to encourage you, my dear, dear friends, don't wander in the wilderness any longer. Enter in. You're saved but enter into his peace. Enter into his promise. 
Because God is able to give you victory over areas of your life that you can't even believe. Just surrender. Remember the song that we used to sing, I surrender all, all to him, I freely give. That's what we need to do. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. And Father, we do surrender all to you. And I pray, Lord, that there'd be nothing that we would hang on to. And Father, those areas that we seem to struggle with and struggle with, I pray that you would give us the strength to keep struggling until we have the victory. I thank you for each one who's here this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would work in their hearts and in their lives and encourage them in all your ways. I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.